and welcome into Mustache, a drinking podcast. Andrew and Quinn here, as usual, bringing you all the knowledge about alcohol we can find scouring the internet on our searches and a little bit, just a little bit based on memory. Quinn, we got a beautiful show today. We're hitting on beer and not like a funny kind. Like Beer is good and stuff. We're actually hitting on like history of beer kind of thing. I mean, or uh, types and and explaining beer 101 this time. Right. Yeah. We're going to take a look at not every type of beer because we will be here all night and into the morning. (laughs) If we want to look at every type of beer, but we're going to hit on the major basics and, you know, a couple of surprising things I didn't really know before doing this research as well. And we'll start as we always do. We always drink a drink during this episode. And uh, I took a little bit out of left field with this one because I'm not a huge beer fan. But Quinn, we'll start with you. So today I am drinking the Blood Orange Pilsner from Finnegan's, uh, a Minnesota brewery that I love. Um solely for one reason originally i didn't think their first beer that they had was that good um but they donate all their profit to food shelves uh in the state and they were a company that was founded just to try and do good um and when we were getting ready to cook a small thanksgiving turkey i was going to do a beer can chicken so i decided i needed to go out and buy a a sampler pack And I found out that Finnegan's makes a variety of new flavors now. Um, They also have a black currant sour ale. They have a hemp PA or an HPA, a hemp pale ale, uh, which I was was surprisingly good. But my favorite is the blood orange. The taste on it, it's dry. (laughs) It is dry... And it has citrus floral notes right at the beginning. And it ends with a maltiness. And like after you take the sip, as you let it sit, you get more and more of that maltiness coming through. It's crisp. It's honestly, it's a pretty refreshing beer. It It doesn't get bogged down with like, sweetness that'll coat your palate it's part of why i really like that it's dry you get a little bit of so blood orange which i would characterize that flavor of being like a grapefruit crossed with an orange um so a little bit more astringent than a normal orange and not quite as sweet but it still has all those floral notes god this beer is good and i love that it does good by me drinking it is the dry a good thing or no? In this one or in yeah. general? Well, in general, I know you like dry because we both like dry, but in that one. In this one, I think the dry is a good thing. Okay. I could see, you know, a sweeter version of it tasting really good. You'd probably get more of like an orangey oranginess out of it, uh, more like a navel orange. But since it's a blood orange, I think it's complemented by it being drier because the blood orange itself isn't a like super sweet orange. It's a really complex kind of tart flavored orange. Uh, I think of them kind of like a grapefruit crossed with an orange. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. 
and and you say this is a good it'd be, this is a pretty good beer. Have you tried anything else out of that that sampler pack as well? I have. I tried the black currant one, which I really like a good sour beer. I love black currant, so oh oh, it is. I think black currant's the best fruit to use for a sour beer, in my opinion, because it's naturally so sour. Hmm. Okay, and you don't have to do anything special to get that tartness through. But that that beer is delicious. Their hemp pale ale is pretty good. Um, and then they also have just a regular IPA, which I tried and, you know, I'm not the biggest IPA fan, but it's not a insanely bitter one. Uh, it, it certainly is using the hops more for floral notes and the flavor of it instead of just the bitterness, like hops were originally used when IPAs got popular, uh, which we'll touch more on how IPAs have changed. Uh, later on when we talk about them. All right. And, uh, well, I, like I said, I'm not a huge beer fan, so uh, there's lots of things in the fridge. I'm finally home, so I have a more assortment of alcohol to choose from, but that means that I have more liquor to choose from. And uh, I did nothing today, and it was awful. Sat on the couch, and I kind of have a headache from staring at a TV for 12 hours. So I was like, I'm not jealous at all. What could ease my nightly pain but a hot toddy? Ooh. Yeah, and I was like, damn, that sounds pretty good. So how am I going how, how am I gonna do this? So I looked it up, right? And as I brandy is what I thought usually goes in it, but you can put pretty much whatever you want in it. That's a dark liquor, a rum, a whiskey, a brandy. You know, we had that Irish uh, that Japanese whiskey from a few episodes ago. So I said, oh, I'm not drinking that too much, so I'm gonna try that. So I have a um I have a jade citrus tea, jade citrus mint tea from Tivana. I've had it for a while. It's a very good tea. You should try it if you haven't. Um and I put an ounce and a half of that Suntory uh, Japanese whiskey, and then I put in um two teaspoons of lemon juice, and then I couldn't find the honey. So I didn't put any honey in it. Although I probably should have, um, it's not bad. Here, let me. I'll I'll try it again. So, it's a little acidic from the last. I think the honey would have evened that out with the sweetness, but it's a little acidic. It's got a really good flavor to it. the The whiskey doesn't overpower anything in this warmer drink. Uh, the mintiness comes through of the. Uh, actual tea but it's kind of muddled down by the other things i've added to it overall i think it's pretty good it's a a hot toddy is not something that i would normally make neither is tea but on one of those good nights one of those cold nights where you just want something warm tea or a hot toddy is such a good drink you know what i mean oh i i love a good hot toddy all I can think of whenever I hear it, though, is did you ever watch the um, 90s TV show Dinosaurs? Dinosaurs? Dinosaurs. The, the, like, the, the one, one with the, the sad one? The one with the very depressing ending, yes. With Littlefoot? No, no, not um, Land Before Time. This oh, was that's a Land Before Time. Time on oh. ABC that ran for four seasons. What was um, it? Um, there, there's a Christmas episode where 
the 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 like T-Rex, the the father goes to his his logging job and on Christmas and uh is fantasizing about his boss offering him a hot toddy. And just going, toddy, hot toddy, 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 toddy. It every time I hear it, I can't help but to think of that show. And to our like maybe one listener who knows what I'm talking about, it is an amazing (laughs) show and go watch it. Apparently it's gonna be it is on or or might be on Disney Plus too. I've never watched this quite, no, but I've seen pictures from the show, but I've never watched it. Oh my god. It is pretty great. It's full of social commentary and they actually they did a lot of like the animatronics for the dinosaur suits that every person is wearing in the show is pretty impressive and they they riff a lot on like the modern sitcom that structure but instead of being like the flintstones where it's people living with dinosaurs it's just the dinosaurs um, and it, it covers them up to the extinction of the dinosaurs. Um, Interesting. With the, the saddest line of any sitcom I've ever seen. And it's just the baby dinosaur saying, it's cold outside. And, and the father going, it has to stop snowing someday. Oh, yeah, Jesus no. It's right. Yup. Yup. And that, well, that, that entire two-part episode, um, the the overarching theme of it is what happens when you decide to try and manipulate Mother Nature and the climate too much, uh, because it it frames it in a way where the dinosaurs were responsible for their own extinction. Oh boy, that's uh, that's meta as hell. Yeah, Jesus, the, the entire show is meta as hell and is really great. No wonder you like it. That's right up your alley. I I grew up watching. We had two episodes of the show on VHS, the Thanksgiving episode and the Christmas episode. We'd pull it out every Christmas. And (laughs) it was one of my mom's favorite shows. And so we would watch those two episodes pretty much every year. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. All right. Interesting. The the suits are terrifying. So uh, (laughs) I'll just say that. uh but yeah hot toddy it's a it's it's a drink that is it has been in in pop culture before as we just talked about right there in different episodes as well it's a it's a good drink definitely try it if you haven't if you're a tea person if you're evolving into a tea person a warm drink on a winter night is just a it's just a good choice sometimes so i definitely cozy drink yeah, and it it is, and don't forget the honey because this is gonna give me acid reflex. But that'll roll us right into our main topic of the show today, and it is about beer one hundred and one. This is all about the beers, the types of beers we did. We did the history of beer. Uh, go watch that one. Uh, listen and watch with us for that one. But this is all about the types of beer and your beer kinds. And, you know, Quinn is a beer fan. I worked at a brewery. So this is this is going to be this might be a little bit more knowledgeable than 
than uh, <laughs> than some of the other episodes. You know what I mean? Right. The, especially looking back at our previous episode on wine, where uh, I've openly commented, I don't remember how many times, that I'm not much of a wine drinker. Um, <coughs> at least not like classic grape wines. I... I mostly use them for cooking or for pairing with foods. And the other day I had to go buy champagne for something. And I stood there for 15 minutes looking at them going, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Come on, Quinn. You just read the bottles for a little bit and you start to understand what's going on. Yep. You read the bottles and go, "Mm, you're all saying about the same thing. I know this brand. I'll take this. Whereas when I stand in front of, you know, the beer for 15 minutes, it's not that I don't know what I'm doing. It's that I I just can't make up my mind. (laughs) Do I want three or four six packs? (laughs) That one is a, that's a smoked beer, but that's a Belgian beer and that's really good. But ooh, ooh, green zebra, that that's a good watermelon beer. Oh, but they, they also make the, the sour green zebra. That's a funky watermelon beer. Hmm. <laughs> well, we'll roll into the most known, most basic of beer. And that is going to be uh, most of your domestic type beer. And that is a lager. Quinn, yeah. go ahead and explain the lager to us. Yeah. So lagers are traditionally a German beer. Uh, they're brewed at lower temperatures. Uh, which makes them more crisp. Um, You get a lot less of the fruity notes from the grains that you use, malts that you use when you're making a lager. Um, That's how you get such a a smooth and crisp drink is the low temperatures. Um, Actually talking about like the beers that people are probably most used to, let's say like Miller, Sam Adams, Bud, Coors, they're actually all, sculpted around a specific type of lager known as a pilsner uh which is oh, a really i didn't know that okay yep yeah okay. pilsners fall into the category of lager okay um lagers pretty much cover anything brewed at a lower temperature so you're looking like sub 60 degrees more like 50 degrees uh they tend to be much lower in alcohol content uh, because they use a yeast that is not able to handle high levels of alcohol. Um, so it'll essentially kill itself off when it reaches about 5%. Which is pretty high for a light domestic type beer. Right. Those you're going to be generally looking at like 3.5. Um, some places might still have 3.2 laws. Um, yeah, where in certain settings you can only sell a beer that's a 3.2%, um, which also in some cases is stronger than other beers. Um, I don't remember specifically what like large domestic brand, but their 3.2 beer is actually their stronger version, uh, which, which is funny because 3.2 oh. laws were put into place to try and, you know, set a, a max cap on the strength of the alcohol being consumed generally in public settings, like the Minnesota state fair. <laughs> how, how, how that doesn't make any sense. How would a three, two be stronger than a 4% beer? No, no, no. Um, 
I'm not saying it's stronger than 4%. It, it isn't. It's 0.6% weaker. However, they're, I can't remember the domestic brand, but their average one was less than 3.2. So their 3.2 beer was their stronger one. Really? That See, that yep. doesn't make any sense to me. I've never seen a beer less than 3.2%, I don't think. I need to figure out what company it was. I only know this from talking with uh, a friend of the family who works with the state fair and he made a comment about some three, two beer being their stronger beer, which he found funny. Wow. Okay. Interesting. But you know, we talk about our light beers, let's change it up a little bit with the new fad we have coming in. You know, it's pushing the Pilsners and the Lagers to the side, and that is your IPA, your Indian Pale Ale, Quinn. I mean, this isn't a new fad. Honestly, I'd say this is a fad that's kind of phasing out right now. Really? Yep. I mean, there are still... aren't going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no one's going anywhere right now. (laughs) Oof. God damn it. I made myself sad again. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, so IPAs or India pale ales, there's a lot of actually myths around how they get their name. Um, one of them is that they're, since they're generally a higher alcohol content beer that they were brewed this way and got the name so that they would survive the transit from, um, the UK to India. Hmm. Okay. Uh, not true. Another myth about them was that they used hops, uh, because it can act as a preservative. And so they used hops to preserve their beer on the um, voyage. Also, not true. Um, IPAs, I honestly can't find specifically where they got the India part of their name. Uh, These are generally more hoppy beers. They contain lots of hops. Uh, Originally, they were brewed using hops mostly for bitterness. And so when you think of like a tongue scraping kind of beer where it's just that bitter, you tend to think of an IPA. However, I've noticed over the last probably four or five years, and definitely it's been a trend that's been going longer than that. Um, but brewers are starting to, or had started to start to use the hops more for its flavor than for its bitter properties. So you can get a lot of citrus notes, herbal notes, and different fruity notes, um, depending on how you want to brew your hops and the specific strain of hops that you're using. There's numerous styles of IPAs or EPAs or um, the HPA, the hemp pale ale that I talked about earlier. Um These are beers that I had strongly hated for a long time, Um, but I'm starting to come around on them. I'm I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Their IBUs are the bitterness of IPAs just make them so bad to me, and I just I can't. I IPAs are the what's the worst part the worst part of beer I in my opinion. It's just too bitter. It's too just light. The I, I know you're like me where you prefer a, a thick, dark beer. If we're going to drink beer, I'm going to have a stout. Something I'll slowly sip during dinner and like enjoy the, the deep flavor to it, I guess. 
not not the oh my god we, we're going to talk about ibus too as well but i when i started working at the brewery it's very easy to catch on to the beers that i won't like because my my ibu tolerance ends at like 19 like <laughs> it goes from 5 to 200 i think and mine ends at 19 so which is most of your light beers most of your your stouts will have a low ibu but oh, i just can't take the bitterness and the flavor is not good and i'm not a citrus fan either and excuse oh. me that is a huge yep. section of ipas is the citrus ipas well, there, there's a lot of natural kind of citrus notes in hops so it's really easy to accentuate them in your brewing process so that's why you see a lot more citrus style ones I was going to say if bitterness is your biggest problem with it, the first IPA I ever had that I liked was called Sidekick. It's a passion fruit malted IPA. Okay. So it drinks thicker. It it'll mm. sit on your palate, unlike kind of the crisp washing away that you normally think of with an IPA. And it certainly has some bitterness to it, um, especially from also including malt. However, the malt to it, it just gives it the crackery isn't the right term, but crackery. Like, like a, it gives it body to the bitterness, which if you really hate bitterness, just a little bit of body to there. It helps to make it more palatable and a lot more enjoyable. Uh, it is the beer I refer to as the perfect day drinking beer. Uh, however, I've been unable to find it again. <laughs> okay, interesting, interesting. I still doesn't sound like I would like it. However, it <laughs> it sounds different than your regular IPA, which, in my opinion, is a good thing. Um, I I don't think IPAs are going anywhere. I I view it. I guess I'm younger than you, so I view it as a newer trend because, you know, you're not drinking IPAs at a college party. Because you're not chugging IP. There's, there's well, very. You're also not really drinking a, a stout or a sour beer. No, no. Honestly, I think sour beers are the biggest emerging thing over the last I, probably two years that I've seen. Very popular. We will get to that, but let's move on to our pale ales. So, pale ales, um, this is the overarching category that the IPAs fall into, the, the India pale ales. This includes um, like American Amber Ales, APAs, uh, American Pale Ales, EPAs, English Pale Ales. Uh, they're generally malty, have a medium body, so a little bit more body than an uh, IPA, and they tend to carry a lower alcohol content. So, okay. And, and the, the EPA is the other big one that I've heard of, at least. Yep, the, the English Pale Ale. So there's different kind of pilsners around the world. Um, we don't have to hit on all of them, but I, I find it interesting in our notes here. It's the, it talks about a Czech pilsner, and it says they're a little darker and higher in bitterness, which definitely pushes away from our idea as an American pilsner. Right. Well, yeah. Uh, American beers are, I'm going to speak broadly here, not including craft beers, 
less flavorful overall. You're, if so you look at the wheat water, water at like an American domestic beer compared to, you know, a European country's more domestic style beer, like a Carling. Yeah, they're the American ones just tend to have a little bit less flavor. Um, though our domestic beers are modeled around the Pilsner, uh, which is a type of lager, as we covered earlier. So brewed at that lower temperature, uh, which gives them a very crisp, clear, pale gold color um, because it kind of naturally cold crashes them, uh, which is a process used to essentially reduce the amount of space in a liquid that can hold sediment, uh, which results in a much clearer and cleaner looking and crisper tasting beer. So we'll move on to what I think is probably our both our favorite type of beer, but we'll find that exactly out later, but that's going to be a stout. Yes, stouts. These are the beer that you pour that on the top of it kind of looks like it has a chocolate milk foam. Yum. It's just dark, like a light brown, I guess. Not so much dark. They but can the be beer black. itself is dark. Um, these generally originate from Ireland and England. They tend to be lower in bitterness and can actually be up there a little bit more so in sweetness. They rely on using a darker roasted malt, which allows them to get rich flavors to them. Uh, this, this is why you're able to taste like chocolate in a Guinness, even though Guinness doesn't use any chocolate. Um, they can also naturally have kind of coffee-like flavors and that's why you often see these with coffee, vanilla, chocolate, um, sometimes chili, because like chili flavor goes so chili? well with. Yo, have you ever tried a chili beer? What, like chilies or like chili? Yeah. Chilies. Okay, I thought like the soup. No, chili. not 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 like bean and beef. <laughs> bean and beef beer sounds not so great though a stout like, in the process of making chili is good mm. it'll actually really help with those flavors uh because that dark um creamy coffee-like flavor to it um or chocolatey flavor just naturally pairs so well with the capsaicin and the the like the flavor of the hot pepper um i've had a couple like habanero beers before wasn't the biggest fan. I God, think they I went that. a little too heavy into the capsaicin. Um, they made it too spicy, which kind of, in my opinion, ruined the beer a little bit. And this comes from a guy who loves spicy food. So I was really excited to try it and a little bit let down. Um, but I've also tried some that use Chipotle's, which are a much, much milder heat. And oh my God, just the richness and the the flavor you get from it when it mix, mixes with a good kind of chocolatey stout. So good. Yeah, Quinn, I just don't know. I just can't get in the jalapeno beer mood because I've tried a couple. I think one of them was a jalapeno cider. And for the rest of the day, I would burp hot garbage, just heat and it, it was so gross and it's like every hour you just taste heat yeah your your biggest <laughs> mistake there was drinking something that was jalapeno flavored i 
I love spicy food. I I like jalapenos used right. Okay. I think jalapenos are too easy to ruin something with just because their flavor itself, I think, is really kind of astringent and acidic and hmm. not the most pleasant thing in the world. I like them for their heat more so. Or if you roast one, it gets a lot better tasting. It gets rid of kind of that that acidiness to its flavor. And the jalapeno-flavored beers, or uh, I tried one jalapeno cider. I can tell you I had one sip of that, and I was done. I uh, <laughs> was at work, and we had a rep come in who was, was demoing it. And so, you know, uh, one of the bartenders would always invite me up because they – they liked getting my opinion from the food side of it. And I tasted that beer, set it down. And it was like, I'm not going to drink any more of this. <laughs> and normally I was really polite about it. I'd be like, eh, it's not for me. I could see some people liking it. And this one, I just went, this is objectively bad. <laughs> I think you were right. I, I, I definitely think you were right on that one. And uh, that'll pull us right into a partner of the stout and that's a porter. Oh, porters. These are probably my favorite. Interesting. Uh, so porters are very similar to stouts. They also have their roots in the um, United Kingdom, dark colors and similar ingredients, just like the stouts. However, they tend to taste a lot less like coffee and a lot more like chocolate. Uh, milk stouts are really delicious. Um, they're made by introducing lactose to it. And it creates a silky kind of velvety feel while drinking it. it basically, it's like drinking a really good chocolate milk with booze. But uh, I... It has more of a beery taste to it as well. Um, I think I honestly like... I do like oatmeal stouts too. Oatmeal stouts are amazing. They're... They're pretty good. I think like an a, oatmeal stout was the... Uh, Brow Brothers oatmeal stout. The first beer I ever had that I liked. Interesting. I know that... I believe you were the first person to tell me to try an oatmeal stout, which yep. makes sense. I, I think oatmeal stouts are a really good introduction beer, as counterintuitive as it sounds, because it sounds like that's going to be something intimidating. But I think yeah. that it's really easy for the person tasting it for the first time to draw a comparison to probably something they loved as a kid, chocolate milk. Okay. Okay. And if you get an oatmeal milk stout, it's it's even closer and they're just so good so uh, a side question before we move on to wheat type beers is how would you describe a black ale is that that because it fits very well into the stout category but it doesn't have the creaminess of a stout all the time yeah it, so it has more along the lines of the flavor but lacks the body Okay. Um, and kind of the opposite of that, I would say like a white stout, um, which I had one of those a couple episodes ago with the Banshee Cutter. And that is 
something that looks just like an ale or a lager, but drinks body and flavor wise like a stout, a little bit lighter, a little bit more crisp, Hmm. but it has definite body to it. And there is no lacking in flavor like you might find in some, again, not all, there are amazing Pilsners. I have one in my hand right now that are full of flavor, but they tend to be a little bit less flavorful than your more robust stouts and porters. And that'll pull us right into our Belgian beer. Yeah, Belgian beer. Um, So these are beers that are made with what's called Belgian purity laws. Um, These originate um, from my research in Germany. let me let me figure find for sure the pronunciation here um, of the specific word for their purity law in Germany. Uh, it is the Reinheitsgebot, um, which is actually kind of a group of laws that were introduced, and in, I believe it was the 1500s, and they they were honestly just taxation laws. Um, that dictated the ingredients that you could use in brewing. It originated with allowing three ingredients, water, malt, and hops. Uh, Later, once humans discovered that microorganisms exist and yeast is a thing, they amended it to include a fourth ingredient that you can use, yeast. Um, So most Belgian beers you find are going to be made along these lines um, to the right. Reinheitsgebot laws. Um, they aren't so much laws anymore as they are traditions. But so they're going to use just those ingredients, which the really cool thing is that's going to put a lot of the kind of pressure or the the uniqueness of the beer specifically on the brewmaster. It's about what they're able to do and what they're able to create out of this just blank slate of ingredients. They don't have as much wiggle room for, you know, introducing chocolate or extracts to, to kind of get away with adding more flavors without necessarily doing the work for it. Um, not to say that you know, brewmasters who use flavor extracts aren't doing the work for it. They're taking a shortcut to be able to get a better product, um, which Nothing really big against that. I just, I got to say, anytime someone makes a a beer that is just those four ingredients and tastes so good, props. Um, so Belgian beers, there's a variety of different flavors of them. You have your more pale ales, you have your darker ales, you have your fruity ones and your sour ones. Um, and so they, they really run the gambit of different things though lots of them tend to be a little bit more malty. They carry fruit flavors and can even create kind of the the semblance or the feeling of a spicy flavor, kind of like a pepperiness. They also tend to have higher alcohol contents and lower bitterness, which I find interesting seeing as hops is a very big ingredient in Belgian beers. Um, I believe it was just a couple weeks ago, you and I were talking just before the float episode and I had a Belgian beer at my place called Duvel 
and I bought it for the floats, but couldn't bring myself to make a float with it yep. because it's just that good. Um, so it, it's a live brewing beer, which means the yeast never died in the process. So it's actually bottled in a champagne bottle. So it'll be able to deal with the pressure variance as the yeast builds up pressure as it continues to ferment. And it is so malty. It, just like you would describe Guinness as eating a loaf of bread, it tasted like eating a piece of bread. It wasn't super heavy, but it had just such a rich maltiness to it. And it, it almost seemed to coat your entire mouth at once while drinking it. It, it's an amazing beer. I recommend buying it. Uh, Duvel and Duvel 9000, they also make Pirat and Pirat 9000. Go out, find them, champagne-style bottles. They're delicious. You won't regret your decision. Um, right. Sorry, uh, the beer is Golden Drock. The brand is Duvel. Okay. I think the most popular Belgian-style beer you're going to find is your Stella Artois. Would I be, would I be wrong saying that? At least in the U.S., yeah. Okay. It's going to be your Stella, which I've only had Stella a handful of times. To be honest, I can't really remember the flavor of it. I, I remember it being kind of lighter yep. in flavor. It seemed more like a lager to me, mm-hmm. but a lager with taste. It is a Belgian lager. Okay. Well, the, Bel- I, Bel- I Belgian Belgian. Belgian Pilsner, excuse me. Okay, so it's still a type of lager. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better. Yeah. I guess I do remember the flavor of Stella. Yeah. <laughs> or you just guessed right. Either way, no one needs to know. Okay. Okay. Right? <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're talking about world beers. And I think when we move on to wheat beer, it brings it a little bit more home. You know, when I think of a wheat beer, they're not as popular when I go when for bar, at least bar going in uh, Minnesota from what I've seen, other than obviously your blue moon. Right. The, the wheat beer that's only good if you put an orange in it, <laughs> which I think is really sad. Like, don't get me wrong. I like blue moon when I have an orange in it because it, it needs that citrus for that little bit of sweetness and that extra flavor to, to give it something special. I just think that's um, such an interesting take because they had to they had to teach all of their uh, distributors that that's the way it needed to happen and then their distributors needed to teach the bars to carry oranges and garnish with an orange or that the beer would not be as good. <laughs> yeah, and I mean maybe they had to teach people because you know you don't generally think of I'm going to get a beer, but you know what this beer needs? Fruit in it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Unless maybe it's a Corona. But again, that's another case of you put the lime in it because it makes it drinkable. Oof. oof. That's, a, that's a harsh one. <laughs> Comparing Blue Moon to Corona or saying uh, Corona's only drinkable with a lime? Corona's only drinkable with a lime. <laughs> I don't like Corona. My father-in-law loves it. I'm just not the biggest fan. Oh, I'm not either. I'm not. I'm bad past year. That was just a that was just a strong take. (laughs) To each their own when it comes to beers. But uh, I will 
I will step aside from the Corona line. Uh, the Fast and the Furious can have all of that. So what makes a wheat beer? Yeah, so a wheat beer is a beer, guess what, made primarily with wheat. Um, so it's the main malt ingredient, and this will give it a light color, and the alcohol level of it tends to kind of be you know, middle of the road. They go really well with fruit flavors. Again, this is why Blue Moon uses orange in it. Um, they can be a little bit tangy. They often fall under the Belgian purity style of beers. Um, and they they definitely have a certain breadiness to them. Now, there, so there's definitely some really popular German style beers that would be Hefeweizens, um, which specifically translate, okay, not specifically, to my understanding with very limited German speaking ability, like very, very, very limited. Somewhere along the lines of yeast wheat oh, is the so translation. Or so you're fluent wheat. in German, and that's a fact. Got it. Uh, put that down. <laughs> write that down, everybody. Quinn is fluent in German, and that's exactly what that means. One hundred percent. Continue. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, hefeweizens are uh, a, a fairly popular style of wheat beer, um, and you know, a lot of people might not really think of it as a wheat beer because they have no idea necessarily what it is. They just know it's a German beer and it's a good beer. So, Andrew, what's our last one? Um, We're going to hit on the sour beer, which you said was oh, the biggest, the biggest uh, booming beer in the U.S. right now. It is. So sour beers are really unique. Um, specifically because they, they marry the sweet and the sour, uh, something that really isn't done in any other beer. So there, there will be beers that contain like a little bit of a sourness or a little bit of sweetness, but they never go all in with both. Sour beers do just that. You can find one that's, I think it's Snarling Badger. It's a cherry sour beer. I liken it to drinking a warhead in the best possible way. I don't know if there's a best possible way of that. <laughs> you don't like warheads, so you're wrong. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, these beers tend to use fruits, um, often a Belgian-style beer. Uh, and the, the fruits they like to use the most are probably raspberries or cherry peach often watermelon or lemon um sometimes lime i i did have one called pirate sour beer it was the worst beer i've ever had <laughs> it was a salted lime sour beer aged oh. in rum barrels i ordered it because it sounded interesting yeah, I, I tasted it and i know exactly what it tastes like without ever having tasted it. It tastes like licking a pirate. <laughs> it was so it was full of funk and salt and sour in all the wrong ways. <laughs> that Why? is my warning about sour beers. Oh god. They are a beer that you either love or you hate. And it's not just that you 
you love or you hate the category. It often comes down beer to beer. Um, so watermelon beers, um, sour beers are generally really safe entry level point as are your like cherry ones. Black currant is a dangerous one to, to start with in my opinion, because black currants are naturally so sour. You can go down the rabbit hole pretty far with how sour that beer will get. And it can be a kind of unpleasant or shocking sometimes if it's the first one you've tried. Um, Surprisingly, though, my wife, who hates beer pretty much across the board, likes some sour beers. I think because they do such a good job of marrying fruity, sour, and sweet. Interesting. I don't think I've had a watermelon sour. I highly suggest you try one. I know you're not a big fan of sour um, sour beers, but I think they could change your mind. My problem with sour beers is that they beg to be drank slow and they're no, no, not, not hell or high watermelon or watermelon funk. Those, those are ones where you have to go, wait a minute. I need to not finish the can right now. Are you then what's that good? Is the sour not forefront at all? So they're, they're definitely sour. Um, and I guess it also comes down to, I like sour things okay. quite a bit. Um, so sour doesn't really bother me that much, but it, it's a much milder sour. It's not super acidic. It's, it really balances them all pretty equal between sweet, fruity and sour or pushes the fruit kind of floral notes and sweetness a little bit more than it does the sour. Um, but not so much that you're drinking something that's really sweet, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, there's two more that I want to bring up here at the end um, to ask you about. The first one is uh, one of the beers that I've actually enjoyed in my, in my forced tasting days of working at a brewery. Uh, one of which was a Kolsch. And I don't know if you know about, a lot about Kolsch's, but... I know they're I'm, a German-style beer. Mm-hmm. I know that the Pilsner is similar to them. Mm-hmm. And that is the extent of my knowledge. Okay, which is why I was so confused when I liked this beer. Because a, a, a coal, it's just the... It's, it's a very light, crisp, and it's typically less of a percent than your or than your like normal even lager for my under from at least the one I the when I had them and they're very smooth easy and extremely light so it's basically like water and I know we like joke about like but like bush light being water but this is really really like water it's a very delicate but like kind of beer. water with a good delicate flavor Yes. As opposed to bush light water where you wish it tasted more like water. (laughs) It's it, 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 we had it in the summer, which was perfect. So it was a hot day and it was just, it was just a nice, easy, light, delicate flavor on the tongue. And it was, you could drink like, like same thing with your, just in your sour thing. You could just drink this whole thing and you'd be like, Oh, there it's gone. 
Like, <laughs> well, next one. Yep. Um, and then we'll pivot to my other favorite beer from when I worked at a brewery. Uh, and that one is going to be a red ale. And what do you, what is your take on a red ale? I think they taste good. They, in, they tend to be a little bit more nutty in flavor. Um, I think of them as a really good, like fall beer. That's probably when I will drink them the most. Granted, I don't really drink them that often. I'll only really have a red ale if say I'm at a friend's place and they have it and they offer it to me and I will happily drink it because they're delicious. Um, they're just, you know, one of those beers that don't really fall into my radar that much. Okay. So at the, um, one of my favorite ones, uh, that I've tried in my working years was a, it's a seasonal beer from Granite city food and brewery, which you might not be able to get where you are. It's kind of a Midwest regional regional, um, located originally in St. Cloud, AKA Granite city. Mm -hmm. They were going to name them all after their city and then Granite city kind of stuck, but it's called burning (laughs) barn Irish red. And it's my favorite of any of their seasonal beers because they make the regular one, their burning barn Irish red. And that is, that is decent. And then they have a backed one, which comes out a week later, all for every, for every store. And this one, it's a microbrewery. So it's made on site. This one is made with Jameson in it. Hmm. So it's fortified. During the brewing process, they add James to b- b- multiple bottles of Jameson to the vat. Uh, in secondary, I assume once the yeast is dead, I guess I don't, I don't know that answer. Cause I was never, I, I, I've never been in the brewery, I guess I've never, I mean, not in the, in the brewing room. Right. Um, right. so I don't know what the process they it. I feel like it would have to be, unless I guess they're making such a large volume that maybe like five bottles into a hundred gallons. Isn't that much to raise yeah. the alcohol content. I would just be worried about it killing my yeast early on. It it is like a, a 10 percenter, I think, once it well, with okay. the Jameson Maybe, one. They might add that Jameson just to kill the fermentation, even. Yeah. And and obviously I don't know, but that is one of the best beers I've had. And I've I've I'm sure I've told you, I've told our friends. I I don't know if I've told you that about that one before, but that's honestly one of my favorite beers is the Burning Bar and Irish Red. Um it's called something else when they add it. They it's like a different variation or whatever but uh it's amazing and i'm sure you'd love it i i enjoy trying that and uh, one last one that we're going to hit on that um i haven't heard too much about but is a, a more popular one is as uh, a saison if i'm saying that correctly yep saison so these are a french beer um they're highly carbonated they tend to be really fruity um mm. This is the other kind of beer that I think is a great introduction to beer. Um, this is uh, Rubius is a raspberry Saison that my wife will drink with me happily. Um, really surprised when I found that out. Uh, like we, we'll go to restaurants and if I order a beer, you know, I'll ask her if she wants to try a sip. She will. She'll scowl afterwards. But <laughs> this one, she smiled and took another sip. And then took my glass. <laughs> and I was so happy. Um, I love that. Oh, my God. They're, 
They are very carbonated, almost not quite champagne-y, but I think of them more like, you know, champagne level carbonation compared to like a normal beer. Um, Interesting. Often really play on the, the fruity aspect, though they can be a little bit more spicy. They also have lower alcohol levels historically, but now that they're becoming popular in American craft brewing, where it seems the major trend is what if I just add two more percent to this beer? They're, they're getting a little bit more up there in, uh, in alcohol content these days. Um, but I think Saison's are great and just a really good place to start. If you're looking for, you know, an introduction beer, that's going to be a little bit more light and maybe relate to something like a cider a little bit more. I've only tried a saison once or twice uh, from a rotating tap that I was that I was trying when I worked at the brewery, but very interesting. I I, I didn't I, I did like it when I tried that one, but I hadn't um I didn't know that it was that they were all like that. I should say. I mean, saying they're all like that, not necessarily true. Uh, most. Um, I I tend to really like the fruity saisons. Okay. Um, just because I think they do so well in that, that extra carbonation helps to kind of get the aromas of it out of your glass faster. So it creates a lot of aroma really quick, which will really increase the amount of flavor that you're tasting if you're drinking it in a glass that will help to trap in more of the air around it because you're going to inhale a little bit with there. And since, you know, 80% of flavor comes from your nose, it's really going to ramp up that flavor that you're getting. Um, I have two little quick trivia things for you. Of course. What do you call a connoisseur of beer? A brewmaster? No, so a brewmaster would be similar to a vintner for wine. That would be a, a winemaker. Um, they're called cicerones, uh, essentially a sommelier of beer. Yeah, sommelier was the word I was thinking of, but that's wine. Yeah, yeah cicerone. Um, actually, the the bar that I worked at, we had a bartender on staff who was a trained cicerone. And it was always fun talking to him about beer um, okay. because he knew a hell of a lot more than me. <laughs> I, like, I, I know, I know some about beer. I know enough to get by, but not, I'm not an expert on, not beer. an expert. Of course. I, no. We'll have to cut that. I can't be in. <laughs> Damn it. Quinn, um, you're ruining our credibility. <laughs> and the final one is, did you know that IPAs have a shelf life? A shelf life? Yep. All beer so, does, though. Well, yes, all beer has a, a shelf life to one extent or another. However, it is most apparent in IPAs or anything that's really hops forward because uh, the hops flavor will quickly kind of disintegrate in the drink itself, at least the floral notes of it, and become overwhelmed by the grain flavor as it marries together in that can or in that bottle or anything. So IPAs are best had right away. 
there that's why you almost never see a barrel aged IPA because it it starts to erode the flavor of the hops itself which most people drink an IPA because they really like hops and so you don't so much want to see that key characteristic that you love taking the sideline or eventually just being completely blanketed with the flavor of grain. Interesting. Whereas something like a Russian Imperial stout, that's going to be aged. (laughs) It's going to need it. 100%. It's going to need that aging time to not taste like lighter fluid and taste delicious. You know, we keep talking about taste, so I think that brings us to our last segment here that I want to touch on, and uh, we're going to talk about IBUs just a touch. Well, I am, and Quinn can jump in here as we go through it. I I think it's imperative to talk about IBUs because when you're looking at- International bitterness units? Correct. International Ah. bitterness unit. I think it's imperative because when you're looking at a beer list at any restaurant you go to- you're going to see a couple numbers. One is an ABV. That's your app. That's your alcohol content of your drink. That that's going to be in. It's how how, how much alcohol is going to be in there. And then the other number is always going to be if they're listing numbers. The international bitterness unit. It's going to be IBU. Very simple. It's the bitterness of the drink. When I talked about IBUs before, uh, like I said, my kind of ceiling is usually nineteen. <laughs> because I want very low bitterness in my drink, a very strict definition. Uh, It's basically the chemical measurement um, of the bittering compounds in the drink. Uh, You talk about the alpha, I don't know if you know all of this stuff that makes a beer bitter, uh, but it says here we have oxidized alpha acids, uh, polyphenols, other select uh, bittering compounds that it doesn't taste. That's what makes the beer bitter. Okay. I'll be honest. When I look at a beer menu and I see IBUs, I ignore them (laughs) uh, because I've never really been able to find that there's like a bitterness spectrum that I like or don't like. Okay. I think so much of it comes down to every other flavor in that beer. You could give me a beer that is insanely bitter. But if they marry it right with maybe the correct kind of like fruit and maltiness to it, and they give it the right texture and the right mouthfeel, so the right body, I'll love it. Or I can get a beer that no bitterness whatsoever, but they're garbage in everything else. (laughs) And I will not enjoy that beer one bit. Though I'll probably like that beer more than say something that's super bitter and not that good tasting to me. In you're right. This is just a general, a, a general overscope of all the things because it's a balance of your ingredients and your taste. So there'll be different types of beers that have higher IBUs that will taste better to you or will taste have a better balance than something that is slightly less or it won't you could have a 60 and a 55 and you know the 55 might taste more bitter but because the 60 was you know blended correctly but the facts on ibus are it's a very good scope for you to use if bitterness matters to you and it's a very good 
to categorize a beer very quickly, I should say, because it's a general concept. Uh, if you're moving, if you're moving 20 points at a time and they're all ranked by points. So the lowest is five and it goes all the way up to 120. And most beers that is such a weird scale. I know most beers but- you'll find are between 15 and 80. Uh, you won't typically find above 80 unless it's a special type of brew. But if you're moving 20 points, that's a big difference. But if you if you're comparing a five, a 55 and a 60, those are both going to be relatively bitter drinks. To the to the to the human tongue. Oh, for sure. Um, I have friends who really like IPAs, so IBUs mean a lot to them because there's something specifically about the bitterness of hops that they're looking for, and that'll help tell them, you know, how much of that flavor they're going to get. But as someone who up until recently tends to avoid hopped or extra hoppy things, I haven't really used them that much. Um, but but this is something when the world gets back to a point where I go to a bar again, I'll pay attention to. Okay. Uh, I'll, just I'll make that deal with whoever can can quickly end the pandemic. I will <laughs> learn everything there is about IVUs. Any takers, any takers at all. God, we wish I, I lied. Um, reading farther into, into our notes, uh, which are bad, but, (laughs) uh, technically there isn't a ceiling on IBUs and that doesn't make any sense, but technically (laughs) There is a I, mean, point. I think the ceiling is just drinking bitters. This, this there is a point where you cannot physically add any more bittering, bittering components to the beer. But there have been documented beers at 1000 IBUs and that's the name of the beer. <laughs> um Oh, that what? sounds bad. It sounds so bad. It's a German brewery, I believe. It looks like a German word, at least. It's Mikeller Apps, and it, the beer name is 1000 IBU. That sounds so bitter. It's like the Grinch around Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Yep. So there's no, it's, it, it, it's typically between five and 120, and even more generalized, it's typically between 15 and 80, but they can break the scale. <laughs> or 1000 if you really want it to be. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Because um we can. That that was that was screw you guys, we can. That was that, because that. fuck you, that's why. Yeah, basically. That was the entire point of that beer, right? <laughs> Quinn, I, I have I, some I respect for them for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do too. I wouldn't drink it, but no. respect respect is earned. <laughs> Quinn, I don't think we have anything else other than our favorites on the list here. Ooh, um, I'm, I'm, you should start with that because this is going to take me a second to, okay. to narrow it down. Um, we're going to do favorite type of beer first, and mine's going to be the stout. Uh, overall, what I've tried, I've liked more stouts than anything else. Uh, more darker, thicker beers, stout porter kind of thing. I'm a huge coffee fan, so a coffee beer makes me happy. I really enjoy um, 
just with a di- just a nice drink with dinner. Like get go get go get something to eat, and then if there's a nice stout coffee stout on the on the menu, I'll get that and I'll sip it over my entire dinner, the entire time I'm eating. Like that is that is kind of what I like. Um, a specific kind. Oh man, I just. That burning barn with Jameson is probably what I'm going to say, but I definitely don't have an answer for a specific kind of beer that I would choose. It's either that or maybe the shells red sangria, which is technically a beer, but definitely doesn't taste like it It tastes (laughs) much sweeter and much better. And I haven't found someone who didn't like the red sangria, but it's a seasonal beer from shells. I have seen it, but openly avoided buying it <laughs> because I I feel like I would hate it, but I guess I will try it. Your wife would like it. <laughs> I think she would. Mm-hmm. My fear is, though, that I buy it and she dislikes it, and then I have a six-pack <laughs> of it sitting there staring at me going, what are you going to use me for? I'm not very good for cooking. Your other your other roommate would drink it too. Hates beer. Uh, it's he like despises I said, beer. Have we talked? It, we have very similar tastes, him and I. And I'm telling you that that was my starter to the night. Every time I would start drinking, that was my shower beer. Okay, I will. I will introduce him to that. Also, nice plug for shower beers. <laughs> hey, don't don't judge me, Quinn. Okay, hey, I've I've done it too. I have a shower beer holder too. It was a Christmas present from my sister. I did the, not. The shower that. beer is the ultimate way to say "fuck you, world." I'm enjoying today. <laughs> Quinn, have you decided on your favorite type and favorite I specific? Have, so I've narrowed it down to three types. Okay. Uh, I'm at sours, saisons, stouts, and porters. Four <laughs> types. Um. <laughs> Oh god damn it. We'll, we'll narrow it to, we'll kick out stouts. I tend to like porters a little bit more. I really like the body of a porter and the the chocolatiness of it, which is interesting because I'm not normally a big chocolate fan. Okay. Um but I just think it goes so well. Um but I'm actually going to go Saison. Interesting. Was not expecting I haven't that. had many Saisons I dislike. Okay. Um they're, I think, great for, you know, lots of different ways of enjoying it. I think they're great with a meal and they're great by themselves. I'm not a big fan of drinking a stout or a porter with my meal okay. unless I'm eating something that's specifically able to stand up to the strong power of that beer. Um, it's actually why the microbrewery um, or the, the microbrew blended with they're uh, paired with food is known as the hardest pairing combination, the beer and food, um, just because beers have so many specific notes to them and it can all go wrong so quickly. Um, so pairing them together can be really difficult. Um, but I think a Saison, they're kind of a little bit lighter and they're like a go with the flow kind of beer. And as a type I think that's that's my recommendation for best with three runner-ups closely behind. Um, and if I'm going favorite beer, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't say 
dragon's milk, yeah, bourbon barrel-aged stout, the <laughs> nectar of the gods, the goddamn best beer you can buy. There's a reason it's sold in a four-pack, because it's just that fucking good. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, and if you didn't, I would have probably given you some shit off camera. I, I was trying to think of a beer that I like consistently more than dragon's milk, and the only one I could think of is... Rubius Raspberry Saison, but I don't like it as much as Dragon's Milk because Dragon's Milk is just too fucking good. It's it doesn't so deserve to be that good. Why have they made it that good? They ruined every other beer's chance. All of them are good. Like, not even, like, the, the all the variations are there, also there, good. There isn't a bad Dragon's Milk. Oh. New Holland doesn't know how to make a bad beer. That's and for that, they can burn in hell for being too good at what they do. <laughs> please, please don't. Please keep making beer. Please sponsor us. Send it to us. <laughs> don't even sponsor us. Just we'll give you free shout outs. I'm already doing that. Just one bottle. Just one bottle. <laughs> we'll take one bottle. Okay. And now that everybody knows that we beg New Holland to send us alcohol, I think we should end the show in disgrace. <laughs> Have we ever ended the show in another way? No, I don't think we have. I don't think okay, we have. Good. Before, good. On brand. Before we send it out, uh, like we always say, if you are dealing with alcoholism or a family or a friend or anyone in your life is dealing with alcoholism, you know, um, it does not make you any less of a person to reach out for help. And you can definitely call any number uh, that we've given you and they will 100% help. So I will give you a number here. It's 1-800-662-4357. That's 1-800-662-4357. If you think you need, you need help or someone in your life needs help, give them a call and they can help you. Quinn, thank you for another wonderful show that we worked our way through. And I think we might have guest number two of the series on uh, next week. You're right. Um, we will have a guest coming up next week, which will kind of kick off a mini series we're doing on mixology. Um, and, you know, kind of being your own home bartender and kind of going back to the roots of even our first episode, which was the quarantini and making a cocktail with what you have at home. And this will give you kind of some of the tools you need to, to start thinking about what you can do with what you have and make something new and make something incredible. And thank you guys for listening and have a great rest of your week. Have a good one.